Oh, let's worship the Lord. Don't you feel him here right now? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. We praise your name today. We lift you up, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Tracy, the uh, anniversary committee, the church board, these wonderful folks. Thank you for the privilege of being here today and participating in this 55th anniversary of New Life Center. Um, when you um, in the pastorate, the manual says you're supposed to disengage from the uh, church, not impose yourself. And um, but you know, it's easy to write words; it's hard to live by those words sometimes. And Sister Jones and I have worked uh, very hard to. Uh, show our love and support for the Tracys and the wonderful work they're doing here and at the same time live up to that and of course I work with many of you and see you every day and the only way we know how to do that is to try we, we've done this twice now having left two churches and um, is, to, is to try to emotionally disengage even if you can't physically and then we come back here today and hear all these emotions come right back that we've been working on so long. But we love this church so very much. And uh, each of you, we feel such a special um, affinity for. And, um, our six years here will always be the high point of our lives and ministries and to uh, be a part of this church, much less be pastor of this church, is uh, incredible, a tremendous blessing, and an awesome privilege. So thank you for allowing us to come back and um, to celebrate with you. Of course, we regret Sister Rome is unable to be with us today and pray that she will be with you tonight. God will touch her and uh, let us enjoy her company for years yet to come. Oh, I feel the Lord here tonight. So thank you, brother and sister Tracy. You're doing such a wonderful job here. We knew you would and we're rejoicing in what you're doing. I, I love the I love what you've done here. I, I do miss the orange carpet, but other than that It's beautiful, isn't it? Don't you love this? Wow. Tremendous. Nobody'd be grinning bigger this morning than Brother Rome at the progress that this church has made the past five years. And uh, the, the beautiful family life center facility in the back. And of course, then the remodeling here and what God is doing, the growth of the church, the influx of new people, the spiritual progress. Uh, thank you, brother and sister Tracy, for carrying the dream forward in such a wonderful way. And to all of you who stand with these wonderful people and um, faithful and and committed to this cause. Thank you so very much to the Rome family members that are here and those who are unable to be here. <clears throat> Thank you for your lifetimes of sacrifice and commitment for this church in this area. It is, uh, <clears throat> it is a wonderful thing to be part of something bigger than you are. To be involved in something that spans time and reaches into eternity. 55 years, this church is an infant. Its influence, its effect on the lives of people is simply an embryo of what it will 
eternity for this church has touched eternity, has bridged for many of us, many hundreds and thousands. It has made all the difference. And we will live forever because of the commitment of those who have brought this church into existence. And we are thankful. And it is proper that we should take time to commemorate the past and to remember where we came from and who we are and what God has done for us. So once again, thank you for allowing me to be part of this wonderful remembrance celebration. Everything's just been so wonderful. Deuteronomy 32 and 7 captures, I think, the emotions that I feel welling up inside of me. And I want to preach from it a little while today. If you'd turn there with me, Deuteronomy 32 and 7. Councilwoman Abram, thank you so much for representing Mayor Bowers and the City Council. This church has always enjoyed such kindness from the city of Bridgeton. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father, and he will show thee thy elders, and they will tell thee. Remember the days of old. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here today. Thank you for the memories that flood each of us. Thank you for the beautiful presentation of this service. Every word, wonderful images brought from the past that have touched all our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for the worship of those who gave their hearts to it. But most of all, thank you for coming and being with us today because you're what this is all about. I pray your anointing today on me to preach and all of us to hear and receive in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. Please be seated. There is a very interesting story in the 35th chapter of Jeremiah. It's about a group of people called Rechabites who were put to test. It's a very strange story, I think, and given its context, stranger still. For it's a time of blood and dying, fear, indeed terror, when the enemy is at the gates and the city walls cannot hold them forever. There's no army for support and the outcome is inevitable. There is simply no hope. And yet in the midst of this time of despair and destruction, God chose to use the Rechabites to illustrate a timeless and an eternal principle that transcends the day of danger that Israel found itself in and reaches down to our very day. The Rechabites were a small band of nomadic people that were part of a larger tribe called the Kenites. The Kenites had been a nation that was kind to Israel in years gone by when they were themselves a nomadic people wandering the wilderness following a pillar of fire and cloud. And as they passed through the land controlled by the Kenites, while others were harsh and cruel and refusing to the Israelites in their time of need, the Kenites reached out to them and showed kindness to them and allowed them to pass through their lands. Because of this, as the years unfolded, Israel and the Kenites had a mutual kindness for one another. There are more than one occasion mentioned in Scripture where the Kenites were given a particular uh, gesture of kindness. Once in particular that comes to mind, King Saul sent messengers to warn the Kenites and offered protection for them when the enemy was coming through the land. And they were spared because of the kindness of Israel. 
And so they repaid the kindness of the Kenites again and again, and it shouldn't surprise us that now that Nebuchadnezzar was coming through the land like a whirlwind and the hobnailed boots of his soldiers echoed in every village and town, that the Rechabites, part of the Kenites, were driven before the oncoming hordes and found themselves in the shadow of the walls of Jerusalem seeking safety once again. They were not in the city. They had no real reason to be there. They had no right to be there. They were simply hoping for the kindness of the Israelites, the people of Jerusalem in their own extremity and on the eve of their own destruction to hold out a hand and help these people. And so it's at this backdrop of calamity that God chose to parenthetically place in the scripture the strange little story. Almost appropriate nothing. It almost is disjointed and disengaged from all the scriptures around it. As if God suddenly remembered something that he wanted to put in the book so that all of us in the generations to come would see something and remember something. And so here it is. Jeremiah heard from God in this time of calamity and trouble and said, go to the Rechabites. Speak unto them and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers of the house. And give them wine to drink. So Jeremiah, the Bible tells us, went out to the camp where the Rechabites were huddling beneath the walls of the city and invited their elders, their their leaders, into the walls of Jerusalem. It must have been a dream come true. It must have electrified the shabby little camp of the Rechabites because they really were, were, were hoping upon hope that they would be invited inside this city and find refuge within its walls. Their only hope of, uh, of survival was the kindness. And here was the man of God coming out and inviting them in. They must have clasped the hands of their wives, hugged their children, as they marched behind Jeremiah and into Jerusalem. I wonder how shocked they were, how surprised they were when, when he led them, not just inside the walls of the city of David, but when he led them inside the walls, he kept walking and they kept following. And pretty soon he was leading them up the Mount of Zion, right up toward the temple itself. These were not Jewish folks. These were Gentiles. And they passed through the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women. And they kept going until they entered not just where Jewish men went, but even beyond and into the temple itself, the most Jewish place on the face of the earth. And here they were. It must have been a perplexing and surprising development. They were taken into a little room off to one side and they were set down in that room. And here's Jeremiah looking at them and and here's his own testimony. He said, so I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites pots full of wine and cups. And I said unto them, drink ye wine. What in the world is going on here? he wanted them to have wine, he could have brought wine out to their camp. He sure didn't have to bring them into the house of God to offer them wine. But you see, this was a very special thing with huge implications even for us today. The Rechabites sat there for a moment, shocked, utterly shocked. Remember where they are. Remember the environment in in which they find themselves. They were strangers in Jerusalem. They very badly, desperately needed the kindness and the generosity of of, of the people of Jerusalem. 
In fact, they were facing the destruction of their families. Their children's lives were on the line. Everything they knew, their whole way of life, was about to be crushed, caught between the Jews and the Babylonians, and they had nowhere else to go. They needed to impress these folks. They needed Jeremiah to like them. They needed to be accepted and part. They wanted so badly an invitation inside the city. Their only hope was the kindness of their hosts. How easy it would have been to have sat there and simply dipped those cups in those pots of wine and lifted them to their lips and, 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 and with a gesture of acceptance and, and kindness and appreciation, taken a sip or two and, and simply sealed their friendship with these people they needed so desperately. I mean, after all, Sometimes, isn't it, when in Rome, do as the Romans? They sat there for a few moments, maybe those cups already in their hands. They looked at those pots of wine. I don't know who was their leader. We're not given his name. We don't know the structure of their leadership. We don't really know much about them, but all we know is that they answered Jeremiah. And said, no. Here they were in the house of God. Being invited to drink wine by the man of God. Here they were. A place of honor where Gentiles never were allowed. They should have never been there. What an incredible honor it was. And still... Their host, it seems, was only being kind. It's easy to say, well, you know, Jeremiah said it's okay. It must be okay. But they said, no. Something would not allow them, would anchor them. Something held them. Not just when the sun was shining but when the storm clouds had gathered. Not just when it was convenient. Not when it was easy. Not when they were in a situation where everyone understood why they lived like they lived and acted like they acted and looked as they looked. But no, even when they were in a place where it was against their best interest. When it was not convenient. When it wasn't, it seemed from a human standpoint, the wisest course of action. When it could be misunderstood. When some might be offended. When there would be those who would criticize. There was something that held them fast. No. The answer was perhaps not as impolite as it sounds. They simply said we will drink no wine. Could it be? What could it be that... In a time when things are tough, when the chips are down, when it would be easier and more convenient and even perhaps wiser from a human standpoint to go another way, what could be so powerful that it would hold them fast? Well, we are told very simply that they said we will drink no wine for Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, Ye shall drink no wine, neither ye nor your sons forever. It's an amazing thought that something so simple could be so profoundly powerful that when it goes against every impulse of the human nature, when it stands against every current of rational thought, there could be something so powerful that it could hold a people 
and everything else says, let go. Now, why? Why would God, in the middle of the chaos of the Babylonian invasion and conquering of Judah, why would the Lord put such a little story right in the middle of it? I think there may be at least two things that God is trying to say to us in this little story. The first is very simple, and it's lying right there on the surface. And it's God is pointing his people, his own people, who are about to suffer the consequences of their lack of commitment. His own people who have turned their backs on him and followed the ways of the nations around them. He is pointing to a little band whose lives are on the line, who are just about to be destroyed. And yet they had principles that remained unchanged and unviolated, regardless of the cost no matter what it took. And he is pointing to them in this time of terrible fear and terrible calamity. And he is saying there are those who have something. There are those who believe in something. There are those who have a commitment that will hold them. An anchor of their soul that regardless of circumstances... You cannot tell me God seems to be saying that it's not in man to live above himself. That man does not have the ability to fall in love with a purpose, with a cause. That man cannot live by principle instead of human nature. That he cannot go against his own best interest in the name of something higher. That he cannot walk the higher road. Look at the Rechabites and see a people that when they should not have, they did anyway because there was something that anchored their souls. It's as if God was saying, look at this. These are folks who were faithful to an ancestor's teaching after all these years. An ancestor who is dust. An ancestor whose voice has been, has never been heard by all of these that are here today. And yet, that ancestor has the power to hold them in this life threatening circumstance. Don't tell me God is saying that you can't do what I ask you to do when I'm the living God that ancestor cannot help them but I can help you and if you'll decide to live by my precepts I'll be there for you they did it that's what God is saying if they can do it you can do it You know, our world offers an excuse for anything and everything. Sometimes people wonder about church and and situations where people are not committed and all this kind of stuff. And yet call themselves Christian and in relationship with God and talk about God speaking to them and all this kind of stuff. And sometimes we get a little confused. Well, I want to make it simple. There's got to be a place for folks like those to go. Because God has always offered an alternative. He built an incredible garden full of trees, good for the eye and good for the palate. Then he planted a tree in the middle and gave them an alternative. In other words, God is a God of choices. Why give free will and then offer only one choice? So he allows men to concoct excuses for less than committed lifestyles. And allows them to find another way if that's what they choose. He gives them an excuse for any lifestyle, for any choice in living, for any way of dressing, for any way of worshiping, for any way of doctrinal belief. He'll let you feel good. He'll allow you to develop any concept.
step you want to develop. From a God who is no God to an aberration of the God who is true. There are so many excuses to live like you want to live. But I hear a voice echoing from the past that preaches this old book without fear, without favor, that can anchor us not to our ideas, not to our human desires, but to the unchanging, eternally settled Word of God. There is something that can anchor your soul. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. After all, we're just human. The Bible standard is unreasonable. American kids are going to be promiscuous. Just accept it. Nobody lives that way anymore. Nobody dresses like that anymore. That's too much to expect. That's too hard. Oh, we don't have to live in the 40s or 50s. That's just the preacher's opinion. My friends say, my family says, everyone ought to work out his own way. There's always an excuse. But thank God there'll be some that will sit in that little chamber and look in the pot that the world offers and say we will not for our Father taught us better. Oh no, Father taught us something different and it may not make any sense to me today. I may not understand it, but I'll understand it by and by. And all I know is He said it. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to hold on to it. It wasn't easy. It wasn't about wine, really. It was about a whole lifestyle. They weren't allowed to own a house, plant a vineyard. They lived in tents, wandered from spot to spot, pilgrimages was part of their life every day, no continuing city, strangers just traveling through, had a home somewhere else I guess, and their fathers were trying to tell them don't get too attached, don't get too embedded here, don't get too locked in. You're not like these other folks. (laughs) That's what the father told them. So they were only doing what the father had said. They did it because their fathers taught them. How much more, God is saying, should we obey the word of God that a godly father taught us? See, the second, I think, truth, the timeless truth, and every scriptural incident has the surface, the topical truth, and then the timeless truth. And the timeless truth is one a little deeper. And it is the power of the truth, the Word of God, spoken by a man of God to affect generations of people. The incredible holding power of one spiritual father, if you will, who lays the foundation of truth, the anchor that it provides. The best I can tell, Jonadab, the one that Jezaniah called his father, the son of Rechab, who evidently was the founder of the Rechabites, that Jonadab was actually Jezaniah's great-grandfather. It's possible that the lineage was even longer. But no, as far as I can tell, no closer in time or blood than his great-grandfather. In a time where a 45 or 50-year-old man was ancient and most folks died by their 60th birthday, there is a very good possibility that the men who sat in that room never met Jonadab. 
They never heard his voice. But so powerful was the word of that father that it set their direction for the rest of their lives. Indeed, for generation after generation after generation. The Bible has always recognized the incredible power of a spiritual father. The presentation that Brother Braswell so ably put together, entitled On the Shoulder of Giants, brought, of course, to my mind so many powerful memories. But what it brought mostly to our mind was the fact that this church is here 55 years after its first service in a living room on Suburban Avenue. Not by chance. It's not here by accident. It is not the march of one coincidence after another. While others have come and gone, this church is here. Not on the basis of human strength alone. It has cost the lives of people, oh yes, a total and complete dedication. That they were single-mindedly focused on what was happening in this church. A family whose entire lives have been focused here. And others gone on now who have given of their time and treasure without measure over decades of time. That's why we're here. But we're here most of all because that spiritual father, Guy Rome taught the Word of God Sunday after Sunday Tuesday, Thursday Saturday night for year after year he built into this church this congregation not just a work ethic not just a commitment but he built the truth into this church and that truth has endured and others have come in that have never heard his voice but they stand here today day and said we're something we've got a purpose we've got a we've got a commitment we have a life because of our father he taught us and we live what he taught oh the power of faithful preaching Oh, the power of remembering the voice of a man of God it does something to us it roots us. It grounds us. It holds us when nothing else can sustain us. To have a spiritual father who loved and cared and taught truth to us is one thing that when the wind blows and the rain falls and the lightning flashes, that will hold you regardless. When the world goes crazy, It'll hold you. When the world loses its way, it'll hold you. When the world forgets church and says there is no God, we know better because we had a father who knew him and introduced us to that God. I know there are many here that never heard Guy Rome's voice except electronically. I know there are those here that never shook his hand or saw that incredible smile. I know that. I'm well aware of that. But you are here because of him. You are here because of our father. Let me tell you something. There are times when you can't figure it out. When you don't have the answers. When the enemy is at the gate, pounding, and you know what's about to happen, you know calamity is on its way. Let me tell you something. It's hard to think straight. If you're one of these cool as a cucumber, calm and collected people that when the chips are down, you just kind of get, come all together and just, you know, don't get upset and you just kind of. Well, God love your heart. You're in the vast minority, I promise you. <laughs> Most of us. Oh, pastor, pastor. What am I going to do? Where do I go? What? That's part of it. It's the human condition. We all get to the place where we don't really logically, we don't really 
coolly and calmly make our decisions. That's why it is vital that we settle things when the sun shines, when we can listen, hear, and apply. Because when the chips are down, you can't go back. I don't know why it is. You just don't have the ability. There's just all kinds of confusion. It's just the bullets are flying and the smoke is, is everywhere. And, and the, the crash of battle is all around you. And it's hard to just sit there and work out uh, algebraic formula. So sometimes it comes down to just doing what you were taught. To just being faithful to what you know is right. When you can't figure it, it's just better to have it in your heart and do what you know to do. Have you ever been in the throes of a problem and everything said don't even bother to go to church tonight? But it was almost like you were an automation. You didn't even think about it. You didn't, Brother Squires, you didn't debate it. You didn't even consider it. You didn't even th- let a conscious thought come in your mind. You just got up and you got ready and you got in the car and you came to the house of God. If the devil had had his way, you'd have stayed home. But you weren't good and you weren't holy you just were taught forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together and so much the more as you see that day approaching so you came to church and what happened God met you here and the word of God reached out and lifted you up and you made it through because you had a father who put something in you that held you That anchored you. They wouldn't let you go. We will drink no wine. Because our Father taught us. You and your children will drink no wine forever. And Jeremiah, we love you. We like you. You're a nice guy. We really like it here in Jerusalem. We really do. We'd like to get to know more about your wonderful city. If you'd just let us all in the walls, we wouldn't bother anything. We like you. You're a great host. But you see, Jeremiah, it's still ever. And because the Babylonians are at the gate doesn't change the fact that we're still in the middle of ever. And so he said none forever. So we're going to be faithful to what he taught us. Thank God for a man that founded this church on Hero Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. This is still a one God. Jesus name. Apostolic. Pentecostal church. 55 years and we haven't changed it's still ever repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost we still preach that Acts 2 gospel it is still ever oh hallelujah hallelujah it anchors us it holds us it defines us because it's the word of God and our father taught us that it may not be convenient but it's still ever Some folks come and go, but it's still ever. He taught us to live separate from this world. Don't get entangled with the cares of this world. Live like you're a, like you're a pilgrim here. Live as if the Lord could come any day because He could. Live as if you could die and be gone without a moment's notice because you could. 
So live it every day soberly, righteously, godly in this present generation forever. Not because it's fashionable. Not because everybody agrees with it. Not because it's what they want us to be. But because it's the Word of God. And we're going to be held by what He taught us. I don't know that I've shared this with anybody. You know, some things you do better to keep your mouth shut. But maybe I have. I don't remember whether I shared it. I remember the event. It was at Brother Rome's wake. <laughs> right before his funeral, as a matter of fact. And there was a person who... Uh, used to be here and not here anymore obviously reasons why you can look at her and tell and I, I apologize but I, I got she made me mad what can I say she said you know brother Rome was too hard he was just too hard on people I thought guy Rome She ought to let me pastor her for a while. <laughs> Guy, Rome, too hard? Yeah, he was too hard. She said there's hundreds of people that would be in that church. But he was too hard. And they're not there. It made me mad. Sorry. I'm a preacher. I was your pastor at the time. Still made me mad. And I was so glad, so glad. You know, and often I don't think of the right thing to say at the right time. Are you like that? It's later that night, laying in bed, you know, that you... I wish I'd have said, man, why didn't I think of, you know. And it wasn't the snappiest comeback in the world, but I was so glad to look her in the eye and I said, but there are hundreds that are still there. He wasn't too hard. He loved us enough to tell us the truth. He loved us enough to preach the Word of God. He loved us enough not to let us be led astray by every wind of doctrine blown about, by every idea coming down the pike. He opened the book. He read to us the book. He taught us the book. And when He did that, He anchored our souls. He did not anchor us to Him. He's been gone nearly a decade. And we're still here. Still preaching what He preached. Still loving the Lord He loved. It wasn't to Himself. It was to Jesus. He anchored us to the eternal. I'll still be young when we do this again. I'll only be 105. But I'm here to tell the world, we'll still be preaching it. We'll still be living it. We'll still be loving it. When He has been in the grave a hundred years. Because our Father anchored us to the eternal Word of God. Oh, let's praise the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. He taught us. Guy Rome taught us many things. I thank God I didn't just pastor this church, that my family and I were members of this church while we were in the youth division. And I, I sat under the ministry of Guy Rome. So many things. But I want you to know one thing he taught us was to believe. To believe in each other. He was the most incredible forgiver I have ever met. I, 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 I'm, my family's from Mississippi. 
And uh, I'm from a long line of feuders and fighters. That's the truth. I'm sorry to tell you, it is the truth. Um, there's never been a war that my family wasn't involved in. It's the truth. When General Jackson marched right down through that county, headed to New Orleans to whip them redcoats, they just grabbed their squirrel rifles and went right on down there with him. They didn't join the army. They just wanted to go fight. That's all it was. It's the truth. They were on both sides in the Civil War, as far as I can tell. They just liked to fight. It didn't matter what it was about. When there wasn't any war going on, they fought each other. You think that's not true? It is. Two generations ago, I had two. They were first cousins that killed each other in a gunfight. That's my heritage. I have to fight myself. But I watched a man who people could treat him so badly. And he forgave them. Without a question. Without, without any requirement. He just wiped the slate clean. Now that, that is, that is awesome. But you know what? Then they'd come back and do it to him again. And he'd forgive again. There's one, well there's many areas. But there's one area that I never lived up to with Brother Rome. That was it. And I, I puzzled about that. How, how could you do that? And of course, I knew that he loved people. It was the bottom line of his life. He genuinely loved people. But there was something else to it, and I've thought of it for years, and I've, 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 I've analyzed it, and I've tried to figure out, because I've, I want to be like that. I want to have that kind of spirit that can let go and, and forgive folks regardless. And it, it dawned on me that it, it was not a simple-minded kind of thing at all. It was a calculated belief that Guy Rome had, that in everybody there's something worth saving. In everybody there's something worth believing in. In everybody there's a spot of good that if he could just get through all the other stuff he could get a hold of that good and he could begin to build that good and that person was worth the effort he was worth the sacrifice he was worth forgiving again and again and again and it dawned on me that was modeling Jesus Christ to me because he looks beyond my faults and he sees something worth believing in Oh, if we could believe in one another as Guy Rome believed in us and see through all the other human failures uh, and see that in everybody there is something worth believing in. But because he believed in us, it helped us because he was teaching us to believe in ourselves. You know, being with Guy Rome was... It's an experience in itself. I, I never left that I... When he'd be laying in the hospital, so sick, could lift, not lift his head off the pillow. But when I'd leave him, Brother Britt, I felt better. Because he made me believe in myself. He made me believe in myself. Because I knew he believed in me. Not long after I became pastor, Brother Rome and I had a very clear, concrete agreement. It was in writing, covered everything about pastor and decisions and all that kind of stuff, you know. I knew it wasn't worth papers written on. Because what I counted on was his character. And I knew I could count on that. He's laying in the hospital. And uh, Sister Newcomb gave me some papers that needed to be signed. The problem was they needed to be signed by the corporation, this church, the legal side of it, the president and the vice president. And we hadn't talked about that. I didn't know who the president was. So I had several things I wanted to talk with Brother Rome about. So I went up to the hospital and sitting beside the bed. And we were going through several things. And finally, I took this folder out and laid it on his chest. And I said, 
need you to sign that. He opened it up. He read through it. And he got to the line. It had president and a line and vice president and a line. He said, where do you want me to sign it? I said, where do you want to sign it? He said, well, I'm not the president. I just wonder if I'm the vice president. I said, you're at least that, Brother Rome. That's where he signed his name. I walked out of there. Not It, it wasn't about procedure. It wasn't about who was pastor and who wasn't. We, we were a team. We both knew that. That wasn't the issue. But I believed in myself because this man believed in me. It was once a very great crisis. I went to see Brother Rome. He was very anxious about it. I felt sorry because he was so upset about it. It was, it was probably the crisis while I was here. And he looked at me and he said, what are you going to do about it? And I said, nothing. He said, that's just right. That's what you need to do. Nothing. He said, you're such a good pastor. You're just so good. And I believed him. For that moment, I was the best pastor in the world because Guy Rome told me I was. Now you laugh, but you've been right there. And he looked you in the eye and told you, you can make it. You can do it. You've got what it takes. You've got to walk with God. God's going to see you through. And when you walked away, you believed it. Because he believed it. He taught us to believe in one another. And he taught us to believe in ourselves. And we need to let that anchor us. When the storms are raging. I think finally, of course, he taught us to believe in the word. He would risk everything for the word of God. He would lay everything on, on the line for truth. And he did. He, he wanted a big church only because that means a lot of people. But not at the sacrifice of the word of God. He believed in it above all things. So today, we have an anchor. And that anchor is men of God who have taught us, who have anchored us, who have been selfless, anchoring us to an eternal rock. Not to the changing transistory concepts and ideas of shifting morality and shifting theologies. The word eternal, unchanging, forever settled word. So what happened to the Rechabites, huh? You know what? I really don't know. I wish I did. I don't know what happened to them in the swirling maelstrom of the collapse of the Jewish state. I, I, I don't know what happened. If they were allowed in the walls, it didn't make much difference because Nebuchadnezzar broke down the walls. If they found refuge in the stone houses of the city, it didn't help much because they... They raised the city to the ground. I don't know. But I know this. That when they stood because of their father. When they remained true to principle. To right. God said through Jeremiah. Because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab, your father, and kept all his precepts, and done according to all that he hath commanded you. Therefore, saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, 
shall not want a man. He shall not lack a man to stand before me for So I don't know, but I know this. When the smoke had cleared and the sounds of clashing steel faded and the fires had died to embers and the last traces of the Jewish nation were marched away to captivity. Out of the rubble, there came a Rechabite, a family. Because God said there'll never be a day forever that someone of this man's influence will not stand before me forever. You can believe what you want to. I don't know what they're called. I don't know where they live. I don't know if they're aware of it. I doubt it. But somewhere on this planet, the blood of Jonadab, son of Rechab, flows through someone's veins. Because it's still ever, folks. And God said there's going to be one of you, at least, forever. So, Brother Rome, wherever you are, in the bosom of Abraham, in the presence of God, whatever wonders your eye falls on today, whatever joy you are in the midst of this afternoon, I want to get a message to you. We're still here still love it still live in it and there'll never be a day as long as this world stands that someone won't preach this gospel love this truth and live this life because ladies and gentlemen it wasn't just a determination of God, a miraculous visitation of God's blessing that made such a thing true. He was also commenting on the power when people commit to the teachings of a godly man. Nothing can stop it. Nothing can defeat it gates of hell themselves cannot stand against it. So God is simply saying you keep living like that. And it'll go on and on and on and on and on. (laughs) Remember the days of old. The years New Life Center and you've just begun let's stand together won't we lift our hands and love the Lord thank you Jesus Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I ask, you do stand on the 
and hold dear to me. But you are my dearest also. I have not forgotten the living. You are my love. You are those whom I choose. You are those whom I hold close to me. Before you I set an open door. No man can shut it. It was opened many years ago by great men who've gone before. But now, who will go through the open door? Thank you, Jesus. Oh, let's praise him right now. Let's love him right now. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. there are those who would like to come and stand or kneel here in the front of our church. On this morning's service, we are remembering. We are thinking of what this church has meant to us. It's good that we do that. It's proper. But if we do not translate the past into the future by present action, then the past dies and is forgotten. But here in this service this morning, we have a tremendous chance to reach with one hand into yesterday and those who loved us and taught us, who showed us the truth. And through us, translate their voices into a voice still heard in years yet to come. To take their ministries through us to those who have never met them and never known them. And that takes commitment. It takes the kind of commitment that sits in a little room in the temple at Jerusalem. And when their lives are on the line says, we were taught something better. And we're going to live by what we were taught. And if you feel that way today, you'd like to translate yesterday into tomorrow. I'd invite you to come stand with Pastor Tracy. And let's spend a few moments here before we go home. Committing ourselves not to live in the past, but to take the past into the future with us. In Jesus' name. All over the building. If you can't get here, it's going to fill up. But if you can't get to the front... Just wherever you are, lift a hand and say, Lord, I want to have that kind of faith. I want to believe in people, in myself, and in the Word of God. I want to walk in the words of my Father. I want to be what you want me to be in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Let's talk to the Lord. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. 
Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.